Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. In the 2020 elections in Florida, a Republican candidate defeated their Democratic challenger with some help from a former Republican state senator that did some shady stuff that eventually led to a fraud charge. The crux of the strategy was to run a well-named candidate to confuse the electorate and siphon off votes from a similarly named Democrat. The tactic worked, but the perpetrator got caught. On this episode, we discuss the details of this specific incident and outline lessons that can be applied to local elections. Let's start by asking whether there will be any repercussions for the Republican Party in Florida. No. Scene. End of episode. Thank you. And this is the importance of winning and not fucking sucking at being a party. The difference, and we talk about all the time, is the Republican parties, they want to win... People in the party want to win at least because they want to win and have the power to keep winning. The Democratic Party seems to want to win because it's a noble cause or some fucking stupid reasoning to win. But at the end of the day, it's about resource allocations and power. And we want to tell you to be active local so that one day you can get to the state level so you can help control this nonsense. This is this this is actually the reason why you should run for politics. Because the story is this. The Senate, I think district, who gives a shit, had a name that was fairly common. It was Rodriguez. Yeah, Rodriguez. I knew it was a Rodriguez. Last name's Rodriguez, first name doesn't matter. Against the Republican. Well, the Republican Party, or somebody allegedly within the party, ran a candidate with the last name Rodriguez. Now, the question is, is that on its face illegal? No. It's actually a good idea. It's a great idea. If if you're trying to win, you want to obscure the vote the best you can, and that's one way of doing it. So there's lots of other tactics we can say, like, you know, voter suppression and things like that. But this is just another trick to try to win. Now, what makes it illegal and why everybody's crying wolf and, and pissing all over themselves is that it appears that the candidate was illegally in the race because there are, in general, rules of who can be a candidate and how candidates need to report and who can help the candidate out. Is there anything against in the rules, though, about a Republican Party was helping two candidates at one time? To my knowledge, no. It would be a coordinated campaign, which is totally legal in most states. As long as you, as long as you declare it, coordinated campaigns are legal. So as long as each candidate decides to declare how much in good faith or whatever you want to call it was done, it's not illegal. And that's only if you hit the reporting deadline. We'll go over that some other time if you want to run Email us at podcast at workingmove.com. We'll teach you how to run. There is normally a reporting requirement, let's say $500. If the coordinated campaign was $498, guess what? Don't even have to report it. Nothing illegal there. When it becomes illegal is when you decide not to A, report it, B, hide the fact that you actually had donations or hide the fact that you're doing, which is beyond reporting. Now it's actually committing fraud. So in this Senate district in Florida, you had an individual with the last name of Rodriguez who was effectively a fake candidate. A plant. Not really a fake candidate because they were a legitimate candidate, kind of. They filed to run in a Senate district that had a Democrat and a Republican, and they filed as an independent. And they had the same last name as the Democrat. The problem is that they didn't actually live in the district, which was a requirement in Florida. So that's the first strike for this being illegal. And it objectively appears to be illegal. The second strike is that an individual who appears to just be an absolute racist shithead Republican that got purged from the Florida Senate previously, all around terrible dude, but he won the race, illegally gave this 
fake candidate somewhere between forty-five and fifty thousand dollars as a campaign donation. And this campaign donation wasn't really a campaign donation, it was more of a direct bribe, but it exceeded the donation threshold for reportability, and it also appears to have exceeded the volume of a singular donation. So this campaign donation was effectively just straight illegal. So you have the candidate doing an illegal thing and running in an office that they're not qualified to hold and falsifying records saying that they are eligible, and you have a different individual illegally donating to this candidate. So that was all illegal. But... The outcome of this illegal action resulted in a Republican winning because this fake candidate received some 6,000 votes, which was well, well, well in excess of the margin, which I believe was in the 30s. So this fake candidate literally swayed the race from the Democrat winning to the Republican winning. And I say very likely swayed because I think generally the premise is that people were voting for the last name of Rodriguez and they just chose somebody. I don't think this random fake candidate was running a campaign in any way, shape or form at all. That would elicit some 6,000 votes in a state Senate race. The con literally worked. It's a state Senate race. I want to say people care. Nobody cares. They voted for Rodriguez last time. They're going to vote for Rodriguez this time. It's It may or may not have been a randomized name. So they may have picked the first Rodriguez because the independent went first. And then and the District 3, the, the Republican went first and Democrat went first. Whatever. It might have been randomized that way. Who gives a shit? At the end of the day, they won. So so here are some ways that I'm not saying are legal or not legal, but other people have used to get past campaign finance laws. One, they could have paid Mr. Rodriguez $50,000 to give a speech at the guy's company, a consulting fee. Then he would have reported on his taxes as a 1099. It would have been all above the board because he was legally at that point in time employed by the funder. The funder. That's one way. But that means it would have been, I guess, out in the public, but not because it's a private, it's private interaction. So no one would have known. Two, they could have not taken the bribe and attempted to, I don't know, live in the district. Find somebody in the district with that last name and hire them for the summer. It's not, that's not illegal to get work out of somebody. Is it? No. I mean, you're doing work for them. Now, if they're doing work for you with the intent that you're going to pay for them, they're going to turn around and put that money into a campaign... Now, that is illegal. And we say this is all illegal, maybe, because it's only illegal if you get caught and somebody prosecutes you for it. And this lowbrow shit happens all over the United States. And for the most part, nobody gives a shit because nobody knows about it. Because if you're in the business of running a con to win elections, you do it competently by not committing openly observable fraud, like having a guy that doesn't live in the district run. Find a guy in the district with the last name of Rodriguez. And then don't give him 50K illegally. Like, just don't do those two things and everything's fine. Unforced error. So the game theory is is, is spelled out. So we know that there's A, we want to win. And B, we got to figure out the way of doing it, right? Yes. The tripping point was, I guess, we're in Florida and the last name Rodriguez is super hard to fucking find. It's one of the most common last names. I mean, you could trip and fall on the person that helps you up will probably be last name Rodriguez. So that's that's crazy. Two is, I mean, find another way to fraudulently get somebody money that's not blatantly. You could have given it to him after the election, after he lost, because now it's not tied to election, because he's no longer a candidate. All this happened when you're a candidate, and that's what makes it illegal. If you're not a candidate, it can't be illegal. Unless the deal was made beforehand, <laughs> and somebody knows about the deal. Long story short, what happens in the game three if you want to win? The team is going to support you, right? And who is the team that's winning right now? 
the Republican Party is winning. So when they brought up, oh my god, this was fraudulent, what did the state say? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and not do a re-election because we don't give a fuck. Go, go fuck yourself, that's why. This is so wild. It makes no sense to me, but at the end of the day, it's because the Democrats asked for a re-election. Which they have to do politically, but they have no power. They have no power. Now, they could go to the state and talk about collusion, talk about RICO, right? They could go to the feds and say, this is the, this is the Republican Party is organized crime. But the problem there is that that would require the, the Democratic Party to actually want to win and not have some noble stake in the game in which they're going to do it themselves and, and people are just going to vote for them because they had the best platform, which is we know is all bullshit. The Dem- you need to basically want to win, which means go to the feds and say this is a recall charge. Two people in the Republican Party committed two crimes. One was bribery. The second was falsifying election documents. And then they also have a conspiracy. More than one person doing more than one crime within an organization is statute under RICO. Did I get that right? I think so. RICO includes like 100 million different aggravating factors, and mail fraud is one of them. It's it's a very, I'm going to say liberal act that's intended to give wide latitude to an investigative authority to identify criminal organizations. So you could literally have a federal investigation into the Florida GOP, and I don't see any reason why Joe Biden should not direct his Justice Department to do exactly that, because that's the kind of shit that Trump would do. And that's the type of shit a winner would do. Defeating fascism seems like a pretty noble cause to me. (laughs) Yeah, what's the one thing that fascism does, right? It tries to eliminate your ability to elect people to office, and this is exactly what this is. Like, literal fascism. Maybe not overtly, but it's playing out at a state entity level, where Florida is literally saying fraud occurred, which we may or may not have played a part in. Or we played a part in it, but we kept our distance because we're competent as a criminal organization. Yep. We picked the wrong guy. Who's the best person to pick? A guy who's funded all the other elections, but can't can't talk about it publicly. Yeah. What if I went to the bar that he was at and say, you know what would be funny? Is if you funded a guy last name Rodriguez, and then you left the bar. That's how that works. <laughs> and whisper campaigns work. And then that funder leaves that room, and he goes and does it competently in most cases. And you never hear from him. You never know it even happened. Nope. Or they put billboards up or things that are interesting, right? As I mean, this is just crazy. And what this speaks to is that Florida is such a corrupt hellhole that somebody could literally violate laws and get away with it because nobody cares. The attorney general doesn't care. The state doesn't care. The feds apparently don't care. Nobody gives a shit. Except for the loser. When you think about these two individuals getting charged, you should think of a pardon, right? Oh, absolutely. Why would the governor not pardon them? A person that flipped the blue seat red is the greatest person you have. Yeah, you reward the the good soldier going out, getting charged. If your goal is to win, all of this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And they didn't even do it competently. No, they fucked up bad. They fucked up. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't even do things like um, um, robocalling from out of state because most states have a robocall from in-state. So you can robocall from out of the state, legally. Yeah, and they had other options, too, as far as what their strategy could have been. And arguably, they chose the right strategy because it worked, but they just implemented it wrong. And it was super cheap in the grand scheme of things. Even if even if the 50K is the cost, like that's super cheap to buy a Senate seat. To buy a state Senate seat in Florida during an election year? That's a good investment. 
and they didn't even need to spend that much. We just discussed an example of a campaign strategy that was ultimately successful from a certain point of view in Florida that takes advantage of some very basic game theory and election strategy. We're not advocating to do anything illegal, but this provides a good example of tools which are available to individuals that wish to run in local elections. So we're going to talk about the various different strategies that may apply at the local level that can be employed to varying degrees of effect. We're going to go through just a list of just inane things that most people don't think about, but actually have huge implications on how the election turns out. And, and that is things like the actual cycle of voting. Sometimes you're off election, sometimes you're on election. And that means some people are going to get out the vote and some people are not going to get out the vote, depending on it. So if you're in an odd-year election, there are simple tactics of just trying to email as many people as you can to get them to go to the polls because it's going to be like a 17% turnout. And you can probably get, in a small town, the 50 votes you need just by through a phone conversation, depending on how big your town is. I mean, there's just simple strategies like that. You're in a town of 80,000 people. It takes a little bit more than that. But, I mean, if you wanted to get active in a town of 4,000 people, in an off year, you could probably get elected just by knocking in your neighborhood. It's just very simple things like that. that. That's just pure game theory with turnout rates. We go to your secretary of state, your board of elections, whatever you have in your state that has the turnouts. You look in your district or your area and see what turnout is. And we say that quite literally. It's it's always a numbers game. So if you go there and say in an off year election and there's, you know, city council votes and there's only 3,000 votes that turn out. The question then is, start breaking that down into how many votes per candidate. And pretty soon you're going to find out that it's probably nothing more than a few thousand votes per candidate, which leads us to the next part. If you can figure out how many votes you need, you can actually figure out how many candidates you need to dilute the pool. So candidate dilution is our next concept. And it's a similar premise to the Rodriguez-Rodriguez naming thing. But instead of having similar names, you just flood the electorate with a number of choices. So let's say you have a city council and... Each election cycle, there's three people that are up for election. So your city council is maybe six people. Every every other year, there's an election and three people are on it. This generally applies to school board, too, where there's you know, some number between like six and 12 people. This works best on large governing bodies because people don't pay attention. And in most cases, people don't even vote for the maximum number of candidates that you can vote for. So let's say you have a city council. There's three people up for an election which means that at least three people can run. And it means that the more people that run, so let's say you have 10 people that run, if you just randomly distribute three votes to those 10 people, you're going to have effectively a random outcome. And what you learn over the course of doing campaigns at the local level is that nobody actually voting pays attention to anything locally. There is this randomness that occurs. People literally do not know who they're voting for when they vote for stuff like city council. You can take advantage of this general lack of candidate knowledge. And it can even be something as simple as choosing like a, a powerful sounding like white male name like John Smith. John Smith, safer safer together. And I'm, you know, confident that John Smith will lead the way. Community first. Dumb shit like that is a basis that people choose when they're in the voting booth and just randomly choosing people. I know this sounds dumb, like, oh, people don't vote randomly for city council, but but they do. They do. If they're not voting randomly, they're choosing who to vote for randomly. Because do you think these 10 candidates for city council have coherent websites? Nope. Or is it like lastname.wix.com or oh, .godaddy boy. or something? Couldn't even buy a domain. You couldn't Fuck. even buy a domain, right? 
and you put it up there and it looks like you're a serial killer. <laughs> That's like flashing blue and green on your site to tell you about incoherent 400 word paragraphs about your campaign slogan. With no punctuation or capital letters. Or commas. Fuck, it's just put a comma in. Make it bullet points. So just presenting a coherent website from a candidate goes a long way into helping people that are completely not paying attention decide who to vote for. And the more choices you have, the more their votes are diluted. And this can be a strategy where you attempt to have the general population dilute their vote while you focus on getting your three candidates very explicitly elected by doing a highly targeted messaging to a certain group of people that you've identified. And depending on how big your your district is, it can be something like literally calling them or literally just walking around and talking to people you know about. Once you get to bigger districts, it becomes more of a messaging battle and some of these tactics don't apply. But if you're talking under 40,000 people, a lot of this stuff applies because nobody gives a shit about local elections. The time you give a shit is when somebody fucks up real bad and you want them out. Okay, that that's when it is. Or somebody you know is running or someone has a message you like or there's a judge you hate or like or a sheriff you like or something. I mean, think about the last time you saw two two sheriff candidates. I, I Think about this in your head. Seriously. You're driving down the street and you're saying Smith for sheriff and you're seeing Doe for sheriff. And they both have yellow and black signs or black and blue signs or whatever the color of your sheriff department is, right? Green and blue like the serial killer, whatever it happens to be. And one says Doe for change, and one says Smith for police, or whatever happens it is. And you don't give a fuck at all because you don't care. It's the sheriff. You go, you go to the, both their websites, and they both say we're tough on crime. We both know how to balance a budget, and we both hate cocaine, even though we're doing it right now. Right? They had the same message. There's not, no difference between them. One guy has brown hair. The other guy has brown hair. One guy has a beard. The other guy has a beard. I mean, they're the exact same candidate. It's like that Futurama joke. It's like candidate versus candidate be like president of the world or galaxy whatever is the same candidate right same thing you don't care because they, they don't have a platform that means anything because it's the sheriff we know the sheriff is a super important position because you get to actually determine what kind of laws you're going to go after and how you're going to fuck people over or not fuck people over we know that but to the general population they don't know they have no idea so you could run 15 candidates and yourself all your friends literally all your friends can run for sheriff just to see what the fuck would happen you pay the 40 dollars filing fee and you sign the affidavit saying i live in the district I live in the district here's my name boom here's why if these same 39 other friends of yours are all on your campaign and psychopaths like yourself you can have a coordinated campaign all 40 of you together it doesn't matter and all 40 candidates can push the same candidate john smith it doesn't matter but they're all candidates and then they get these magical things like candidate treatment where they can't be stopped from going into apartment complexes, going into HOA areas. Because federal laws and election laws and candidate laws can't prevent the candidate from doing it, but they can prevent the campaign from doing it. So case in point, you might not be able to go into a gated community because you're not the candidate. But a candidate can go into a gated community because they're the candidate. So if everybody on your campaign is running for a seat in an election somewhere, guess what? Everyone in your campaign has equal access and can have a coordinated campaign, which means you could have all your friends run for every single position and have a single handout that has all your names on it, and there you go. Boom, a voting guide. And that leads us to the next one. How do you get information out to people? Let me ask you this. Should you knock on doors? Fuck no. Total waste of time. Should I Should I make a bunch of t-shirts? No. 
Should I put up yard signs everywhere? Absolutely not. Should I pay for a billboard? Maybe. Maybe. Should I buy an email list? Absolutely. That's where you go. Should I get Facebook advertisements? Maybe. Should I get targeted Facebook advertisements? Probably. Yeah, probably. Should I maybe even Google? Should I put up some YouTube videos of myself talking? Try to spread it around? Probably. Probably. It's about maximizing your outreach to people for as little cost as possible. And online advertising is free, effectively, at the local level. If you're in Bumblefuck, Missouri, the cost to show ads on every single YouTube video is going to be sub one cent. And a yard sign costs like $3. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you could probably fund an entire month worth of insanity in a 10,000 person town, like belligerently on YouTube for like 300 bucks. It's very cheap. So we say that door knocking and yard signs are not something that you should engage in because you should do online advertising. But we're making actually a harsher statement, which is that door knocking and yard signs functionally do not work. They don't work. It's not a statement that ads are better than yard signs. It's a statement that yard signs are literally worthless. They are a complete waste of money. And in most situations, stuff like yard signs and pamphlets and t-shirts are just a way to funnel money to well-established print shops in your area, which from a certain point of view is fine, unless the only outcome is that the print shop makes money. And that's a, a microeconomy thing that is absolutely detrimental to most leftist causes, where people feel the need to buy union signs or union t-shirts or union flyers. And it like it who cares? If if the union cared, they would be supporting your candidacy and you wouldn't have to exchange much. They would put the signs for you and put them up for you if they, if they cared. There is the perception of a well-ran campaign and then there is an actual well-ran campaign. And these two things need to actually intersect for you to win. You can have a very shitty ran campaign that puts up 4,000 yard signs and spends $30,000 and wastes a ton of money. You can have a well-ran campaign that puts up four yard signs or 10 yard signs. The minimum buy is normally 10 to 20. You put the minimum up, why? Because you can put a picture up on social media of you handing out yard signs. Because the perception is that you're putting up yard signs and you are a well-ran campaign because you have to hit every spoke here. You have to convince people that you're a good candidate. You have to convince people that they should donate to you if you want to take money. You don't have to. Right. And you got to convince people that you're worth supporting because people don't want losers. Right. So do you have to go to parade with a T-shirt on? You do. Why? Because you may end up on the front cover of the local shithole paper that you have handing out candy to little kids. Do you hand out dumbass pamphlets and stuff? No. Do you hand out stickers with your name on it and say, I voted for such and such? Maybe. Maybe you target the kids because the kids are going to talk about you. I mean, really what you're trying to do is just get stuff out there so that, that goes back to the media portion of it you have to have a perceived camp well-ran campaign you can probably run a local election with three people for under five hundred dollars for under five hundred dollars and this is not an exaggeration because we've may or may have done it multiple times for multiple candidates you can literally get like 10 t-shirts made from some shithole print shop and 10 signs made for like nothing i mean they're expensive because it's like ten dollars a piece or something but you get 10 signs up you get your social media up you get your facebook site up you get your domain grab actually get a domain get a real domain buy an email list you can buy email lists you can buy email lists i'll say that one more time you, you can buy them from marketing camp companies you can get them and you want to hit up all the local shitty groups churches you want to hit up your your sports leagues you want to hit up the the school things oh this is why i'd be good for this because it's all about networking it's not about 
it's not about knocking on doors. It's about getting as many people to remember your name as possible with as little money as possible. And that does not mean printing a $5 yard sign and sticking up 100 of them. So what you just described are the various different voting blocks that exist locally. What your goal is, is to appeal to each one of these identified voting blocks for as little money as possible. You don't need to put up a random yard sign in somebody's yard because nobody will give a shit. What you need to do is talk to the person that runs the the t-ball team or the little league team or whatever the kids are into these days. Convince them that you know you want to start little league or you want to do this, that, or the other thing. And through networking, these voting blocks will support you. We've we've talked in depth about the whole little league local issue and how the voting blocks exist. And these small institutions have power locally. You have to figure out what those institutions are and target them. So that's a very cheap, almost free thing you can do as a candidate. You have to know that some of the biggest organizations that have the biggest networks in your city are sports leagues for kids, youth sports leagues. That, that That's fundamentally one of the biggest ones. Because in general, the people that play sports in those leagues have to live in the city. And in general, the people that uh, the parents of these teams or the people there have disposable income because their kids are in these sporting events and they tend to be engaging in these groups of people and they tend to vote because they're suburban people who are engaged in the community and they do it through sports. So saying things like, I'd love to make sure our fields stay updated. I'd love to expand this. I'd love to do this. I'd love blah, 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 whatever it happens to be. Unrelated to your actual messaging is how you get in with these groups. Now, we're not saying to con people. We are saying to con people. What we're saying is you got to find your way in and then use it. So, you know, there's lots of other groups too, right? There's people that go to the library all the time. There's local gardening. There's lots of people that need and want resource allocation. If you learn how to speak their language, you get in pretty easy with them because you care. Because you give a shit. That's all they care about. People just care that the person they're going to vote for gives a shit. And like you said before, it's about the perception of you giving a shit. Yes. Yes. Who gives a shit? I don't, but I perceive to give a shit. So you should literally identify these voting blocks and then go tell them whatever messaging they want to hear. Like, it it literally doesn't matter whether you believe it or not or you support it or, like, it doesn't matter. Have different messaging for each one of these voting blocks that you think will be receptive to you winning. You care about winning. Your goal isn't to have everybody like you and support whatever actual policy you care about. Your goal is to win. Because if you have a four-year, if you have a four-year cycle on a, on a city council seat, which is fairly common, two to four years, people aren't going to remember in four years what you lied about. They're going to ask you what you've done, right? Yeah. And that, that's the important part here. And we're not saying lie. We're saying engage your constituents in the languages that they engage with. Do you want to go to the local? chamber of commerce probably not if you're leftist you've already lost because they've picked their their candidate of choice which is a right-wing conservative insane person and the money normally comes from out of city or out of district because the business owners in your city may not actually live in your city so they don't even vote they just have money to throw around people you talked about in four years they may remember you nobody knows who's on their city council or their school board or whatever right now if you were to go ask people, who's your mayor? If you don't live in a large metropolitan area, I'm going to say that 95% of people literally have no idea who the mayor is. Unless they're their neighbor or, again, you're engaged in politics. If you go to every city council meeting or read the minutes, yes, you'll know who the mayor is. But I can tell you this. I don't normally read the city council meeting because I don't give a shit about any of it because it's all dumb fucking bullshit. You don't have any power to influence it, and you check out and not care because... 
like what what does it matter but the people that are aware of who their city council members are they're not really going to be your target voting block you want to convince the people that literally don't pay attention to any of this that you're the answer absolutely and this goes back to the part of the beginning of this podcast which is you know you look you look at the last voting cycle this is really important if you look at the last voting cycle let's say that 20 percent of people showed up all right you're going to look and see the total number of voters okay and you can see the total number of votes cast in any one of the seats and you'll normally see if the mayor is the number one seat that the mayor gets the most votes. And then you're going to see is if it's a pick two, pick three, it doesn't quite line up. You're going to take that same number of votes, add them all up to every single candidate, and divide by the number of seats there are. And you're going to find out that there isn't a one-to-one correlation between the 20% up top versus the 20% carrying the vote down below. So your goal is just to get the people to vote for you if you're running and nobody else. It's like... People mantras vote blue no matter who. It's like vote Tim to win or whatever the hell your name is. It doesn't matter. Some dumb mantra. You only want the person to vote for you. Or you want so many candidates they don't even know who to vote for. And they panic and don't vote. And that's so that's kind of the opposite side of the dilution strategy is if it's a pick three and you're the one person, if there's not another block of two people that you want to like run with or have good policy, do not vote for the other two candidates. And part of the dilution strategy is to dilute those other two choices so that you don't artificially increase the votes of your competition because it's whoever gets the most votes. And when you vote for three people, three people get votes. You only vote for one person, two other people do not get votes. Very simple, but it's not understood from a high-level game theory planning perspective because people don't think about it. You know, it goes back to that perception of running a good campaign. If you don't hit the reporting limits, don't report. That's number one. Don't ever report. If you don't have to report, don't report. Number two, the perception of good campaign means you do have things like a an email and a website and all the stuff that makes sense that actually works, okay? And you filled it out and you gave it to whatever entity holds your candidacy thing so that when the newspaper prints your information or anybody prints your information, they actually have a place to go. There are lots of candidates who sign the affidavit but don't give the registrar's email or, or campaign website to whatever it happens to be. So then when it's on the the government records you don't really have you don't exist and that also goes back to then the perception of you doing things so when questionnaires come out because they're going to email you because your name you gave them an email address that worked or you're going to have a form sign up on your shithole wordpress or wix website whatever it is but you just or facebook group you'll have a place to sign up or send you emails they're going to ask you questions you're going to fill them out coherently with paragraphs or bullet points or whatever it happens to be because messaging is really important and you're only going to say the same seven things over and over again the same bullet points are going to be the website you're going to copy and paste them into the into the bulleted list they're going to say things how do you feel about low-income housing disrupting neighborhoods with of affluency things like that you're going to say i think it's really important that everybody has equal access to housing you're speaking in neoliberal terms but you're a leftist right so the goal here is not only not only are you perceived as an active candidate you're perceived as a non-threat and you're perceived to speak the language of whatever city or demographics you're in okay so you want to say things and if it's a neoliberal area or conservative area you speak conservative neoliberalism even though you're a staunch militant leftist because your goal isn't to get the six leftists out to vote for you the goal is to convince the other dickheads that you are a good enough candidate to win that's the goal winning is everything and my fists are clenched because there's so many candidates out there that are on the left or want to run 
whose goal is to have this cool leftist platform. We're going to do this shit. But guess what happens to the loser? You lose. You can't do shit. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.